We have one more week with that awesome bumper video. Pastor Ben will be with us next week to close out the series. Um, but as we continue today, we're, we're going to just dive right in, all right? Um, and in fact, I, I want to do something slightly different, and I want us to begin by having us stand and read our main passage for today. It's just one verse. I'm going to read it, and then I will pray for our time together. So why don't we all stand at this time? We're going to be in the book of John, the Gospel of John. We're going to read from chapter 1. Verse 14, John chapter 1, verse 14, it's going to be on the screen as well. It says this, the word, Jesus, became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son who came from the father and he came in this way. He came full of grace and truth. Let me pray for us. Father, we thank you for this time, God. We sense your presence here. We know that you are with us, God. And I just pray that you will speak to our hearts and to our minds. I pray that we will be open to receive whatever you may have for us today. Holy Spirit, we welcome you. Guide us, deliver us, and set us free from lies that we've been holding on to or believing. I pray that we will fully understand what it means to walk in the fullness of grace and truth, to receive that fullness of grace and truth from you, and to be able to relate and engage with others in the same way. We thank you for this time. We bless it in your holy name. Amen and amen. You guys may be seated. So the lie that we're going to be talking about today is this. Too many of us believe the lie that we have to choose between grace and truth. We believe the lie that we have to choose between these two realities of grace and truth. When it comes to our faith, when, when it comes to our relationship with God and how we view him, and when it comes to how we engage with others and relate to others, the majority of us will lean heavily on one of these seemingly opposing ideas. We are either grace people or we are truth people. Now, there is merit to both, right? Let me just say up front that one is not better than the other, but the danger lies when we only operate in one of these streams. Leaving out grace or leaving out truth will cause us to have an incomplete picture of God, and it will cause us to not be able to fully give ourselves to others in the best way. Now, before I give you some examples of what I'm talking about here, let me define these two terms so that we are on the same page. Here's what grace is. Grace is simply unmerited favor. It's undeserved favor. Grace has to deal with love and compassion. It has to deal with mercy and acceptance. That's grace. But on the other hand, truth is this. Truth is a faithfulness to a standard. Faithfulness to a standard. Truth has to deal with justice and law, with obedience and righteousness to that law, to that standard. So you have love and acceptance, mercy, compassion, and then you have justice, law, righteousness, obedience. Do you see the conflict these two ideals seem to be moving in opposite directions. One side, the truth side, says that there is a standard that needs to be upheld. There's a standard that needs to be upheld, while the other side, the grace side, says that you are loved and accepted even if you're not able to keep that standard. 
You, you got to uphold the standard. You're, you're loved and accepted regardless of keeping the standard. So which one is it? Which one is it? In true Jesus fashion, he finds a way to hold this paradox in tension. As we just read a moment ago in John 1.14, it says that the one who came from the, from the Father and dwelled among us, he came full of grace and full of truth. He didn't come with just grace, and he didn't come with just truth. He, he also didn't come with just half grace and half truth. No, he came full of 100% grace and 100% truth. He, he came fully embodying love and compassion. Undeserved favor just oozed out of him when he engaged with people. But at the same time, he also came full of righteousness and fully prepared to hold himself and the rest of humanity accountable to the standard and law of God. He didn't just abandon that. So it's not grace or truth. It's grace and truth. And you see, throughout his ministry, Jesus demonstrated how he held grace and truth in tension. He shows us this many times. In, in, in John 8, though, there's one of my favorite examples. It, it, we read about a time that Jesus was in the temple and, and a woman was brought to him who was caught in the act of adultery. I'm going to let that, I'm going to say that again so, so that it sinks in. This woman was caught in the act of adultery. Why they didn't bring the man also? Begs the question. But nevertheless, here's this woman before Jesus and before this mob that is ready to stone her because that's what the law prescribed at the time for that act. This lady is more than likely naked because she just got caught in the act. She's ashamed and she's scared for her life. And the mob is just waiting with a stone in their hand, they're waiting for Jesus' word of approval so that they can begin to enact exact punishment on this lady. But with one phrase, he disperses the crowd. And this is the famous line that many of us have heard. He said to the crowd, you guys are ready to stone her. He who is without sin, go ahead and throw the first stone. He who is without sin, throw the first stone. And recognizing their own culpability, recognizing their own mess, their own sin, one by one, they drop their stones and they walk out. They walk out. And Jesus is left alone with this woman. And he asks her two questions. He says, woman, where, where are your accusers? Where are those who were ready to stone you? Has no one condemned you? Has no one condemned you? And I'm sure just confused at everything that's going on, she responds to Jesus, no, no one, no one. And I want you to hear these gracious words of Jesus to this woman. He says to her simply, neither do I condemn you. Neither do I condemn you. Many of you need to hear those words for yourself, that God doesn't condemn you. 
You may have done something wrong and people are surrounding you, ready to stone you, ready to give you what you deserve, quote unquote. But Jesus stands before you and he says, I don't condemn you. He stands there ready to receive you and accept you. That is the graciousness of God. That is his grace, his love. But he doesn't leave the woman there with just grace. He adds the truth. He adds this call and invitation to a standard. And he says this to her, go now and leave your life of sin. Go now and leave your life of sin. I don't condemn you, but I'm calling you and inviting you into something different. What we need to understand, if you heard me a moment ago telling you that Jesus doesn't condemn you, you also need to hear this, that that Jesus didn't come just to wash you of your sins and to forgive you, but he came to save you from that lifestyle and call you into a life of righteousness, a new life that you can live through the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. It's not just about being cleansed and being let loose to continue to do whatever you want to do, but it's a salvation from our sins into a new life. It's both. But you see, based on our personality, based on our upbringing and many other factors, we are predisposed to view God and the world in a certain way, in a particular way. And for the rest of our time, here's what I want us to do. I want us to talk about two things. If we believe the lie that we have to choose between grace and truth, how does that impact, number one, our relationship with God? And number two, how does that impact our relationship with others, how we relate to others? But first, let me start with this. I believe that one of the hardest jobs in the world is the role of a parent. I believe many jobs come close But to me, parenting is at a whole other level. You see, because parents have to hold two opposing ideas constantly in tension, love and discipline. Love and discipline. And love and discipline is similar to grace and truth or grace and the law. Those words can be used interchangeably. But parents have to hold these two things in tension as they raise up their kids to become adults, love and discipline. You see... A parent who is only loving but never disciplines, no matter how great that love may be, I believe they are doing their child a disservice. In fact, if a parent is unwilling to discipline, I think we have to question whether or not they truly love them. If they're willing to just let them go on their way, wherever the winds may blow, wherever the winds of culture blow, we have to question whether or not they love them. But at the same time, on the flip side, a parent who only disciplines but never loves, never, never shows compassion or affection will likely have a broken relationship with that child, right? We, some of us have experienced that. A parent who only disciplines, never showed us love and affection, never said a kind thing to us. How is that relationship with that parent at this time? It leads to brokenness to disconnection. A great parent, guys, cannot operate on either extreme of this tension. They have to fight for both. You see, parents shouldn't just um, desire or work to be their child's best friend. Growing up, I felt like I had a lot of friends whose parents just wanted to be their friend. 
They just wanted to be liked by their kids. As parents, we shouldn't just work to be our kids' best friend, nor should we be drill sergeants who are trying to whip them into shape all the time. We have to find a way to work to merge the two, to work for both. And you see, this is exactly what God does with us. Check out the encouragement that we receive from the writer of Hebrews. He writes this in chapter 12, verse 5, the second part of verse 5. It starts like this. My son or daughter, do not make light of the Lord's discipline. Don't make light of it. And do not lose heart. Do not lose heart when he rebukes you, when he corrects you. Because the Lord, what, disciplines the one he loves. He disciplines, corrects the one he loves, and he chastens everyone he accepts as his son or daughter. The Lord disciplines the one he loves. Do we believe that to be true? Do we believe that love and discipline can coexist? Or are we of the mindset Are we accepting as truth this popular belief in in our day and age, which can't see these two things coexisting? Do we love without discipline? Is it really love? Just, Just a few blocks away, just a few blocks away, there's an art installation that has been there since 2017, so about two years. I didn't see it until this week. I don't know if that was God kind of giving me a sign or, or what, but Tuesday I'm walking by, I look up to my left, just right there a block away from Mission and Third, um, it's like this little alley called Annie Street. And I look over the California Historical Society and I see this sign and it's daytime, but I still recognize it. It says this, it says love over rules. And I know there's a bit of a play on words there, right? Is it love over rules or love over rules? And I think either way you read it, love overruling something else, meaning that love is at the top. To our modern ears and hearts, love over rules sounds really nice. It's progressive and something that we as San Franciscans can stand for. We could get behind that. But if I'm being brutally honest, it's wrong and misguided. Again, that idea of love over rules, it's this belief that we have to make a choice, that we have to choose, that one takes priority. But the message that we see throughout the scriptures is not love over rules, but love and rules. Love and rules. But we don't like that as much. It's not, it doesn't sound as good. <laughs> if we are being honest, we prefer a God of grace. A God of grace. Who doesn't want a God who shows us unmerited favor only? Right? I mean, grace is beautiful, especially when it's extended towards me who needs it. It's amazing. It's undeserved. It's, it, it, it's accepting and welcoming. Guys, I I love hearing and I love teaching messages of grace, right? The the prodigal son story, many of you know it, right? It's one of the most popular and most loved 
parables and stories in the Bible because of its emphasis on grace. Last year, and give you a personal example of me teaching, I love this message. I, I taught um, out of John 4 about Jesus' encounter with the woman at the well. And the woman at the well was coming to the well at a certain time of the day, the hottest time of the day, because she was being spurned and rejected by her community. And so it's just Jesus and this woman at the well. This woman had been married five times, and the person she was with, the man she was with at the time was not her husband. And Jesus knew all of this about her. And this is the key takeaway that I shared in that message. I said that the one who knows you the best loves you the most. The one who knows every single flaw about you, he knows everything that you have done, both good and bad, he is the one who loves you the most and draws you close to him. That's grace. I love that message. I love that message. Any time that we can display or share the amazing love and grace of God to people, we want to do it. Because it's, 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 so many of us have had the opposite idea or experience of God. Grace messages are the best. Oh, but it's a challenge to talk about the truth side of God. Only people who are a bit of a Pharisee and religious zealot like truth messages. They're not that popular. As I mentioned earlier, truth has to do with faithfulness to a standard. And in our case, what we're talking about is God's standard. People don't like to hear about the expectations that God has for them. You see, they prefer a benevolent grandpa type of God, right? Grandparents can't wait to be a grandparent. So much easier. We view God as a grandfather, but no, no, no. He is our father who loves us immensely, so much so that he's willing to discipline us and demand obedience from us. But if, again, if, we, if we're being honest, many of us struggle with a God that will punish people for their sins. We struggle with that. We struggle with the idea of hell. How can a loving God send people to a place where they will be tortured and tormented for eternity? They, they struggle with a, a God that restricts people's freedom, a God who would say that a certain behavior is wrong even though it has become socially and culturally acceptable in our time. We, we struggle with that. But you see, what we need to realize is this. We, we all have to realize that at some point and at some level, the gospel of Jesus Christ is going to be offensive to us. It is absolutely going to be offensive, offensive to us in some way. That's truth. That's the truth. We are not going to agree with everything because the standard that we are called to uphold is not our standard because we are not God. And we didn't set that standard. Each and every single one of us at some point will have to wrestle with, relinquish control of an ideal or behavior that we have grown to love and to cherish. We're going to have to let it go. We're going to have to fight and wrestle with that desire to go after it. But God says, no, 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 that's not what I have for you. 
And quite honestly, if that hasn't happened yet, if that relinquishing control hasn't happened just yet in any area of your life, then I would truly question whether or not I'm a Christian or a follower of Jesus. I would truly question, you see, because if you are still on the throne of your own life, guess who's not? Guess who's not? If your life looks no different from the moment that you quote unquote received God's grace, then you have completely missed or rejected the fact that Jesus is the truth. You have missed it completely or rejected it completely. You see, we all know that God is love. We've heard that, right? Actually, that comes from John, the Apostle John. He says that in, in 1 John chapter 4, that God is love. But John also tells us in his gospel that, that Jesus is the way and the truth and the life. He is both. He is a God of love and grace, but also a God of truth. When we try to live only in God's grace, but not in his truth, this is what Diedrich Bonhoeffer would call cheap grace. None of us like anything. Well, we like to spend cheap, but we don't want anything cheap in return. Bonhoeffer calls us trying to live in grace only and no truth as cheap grace. In his famous book, The Cost of Discipleship, Bonhoeffer says, in essence, that cheap grace is grace without cost. Grace without cost. Christianity without discipleship or faith without following in the way of the cross, without actually living it out. And then he adds and throws in this line in that book. He simply says this, only he who believes is obedient, and only he who is obedient believes. It's not enough just to receive God's grace. We have to walk in this truth. I've said quite a bit about the dangers of living only by God's grace. But let me just quickly speak about what the dangers are when we only see God from a truth perspective, the truth side of God. There are negative ramifications when we do this. Less of us, less of us might find ourselves in that camp, but I think it's still relevant and important for us to see and understand. For those of us who struggle with only seeing God's holy standard, that's all we know and see of him, his law, his justice, his rule. The only byproducts of that perspective are two things I see, are shame and hopelessness. Shame and hopelessness. You see, not a day goes by where we don't measure up. We never hit that standard. We, the Bible says that we all fall short of the glory. We could add in there the truth of God. We all fall short. Guys, I, I have personally shared with you my struggle with feeling not enough before God. It's, it, it, it's, it's, it's something that I dealt with for many years in my own faith walk. And for every now and then, it tries to come back up. I've felt not enough before God, which I believe is true about all of us, but it's incomplete. 
It's incomplete. But when I'm in that mindset, when I'm in that zone, and all I see is God's holiness or his truth or things like that, it makes it impossible for me to feel his presence. It presents the challenge where I don't even want to pray. And it's hard for me to even believe that he has a plan for my life when I'm in that zone. I truly feel like he's abandoned me. And for the first 10 years of my faith life, of my walk with God, I was on that roller coaster, constantly trying to earn my keep, trying to be accepted by God, but never being able to reach the mountaintop and always being slammed right back down to reality. But I was only leaning on the true side of God. But this is how my breakthrough came. Several years ago at Epic, we were teaching through a 13-week series called No More Religion. And it was on, it was based out of the book of Galatians. And the focus or the thesis of that series was this, that there's nothing that you and I can do to earn our way to God. There's nothing that you and I could do out of our own volition, out of our own power to be accepted by God. And every week we repeated this phrase. We told the people, and I taught three of those 13 messages. Every week we repeated this phrase. We are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. We are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. We are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. And throughout that series, guys, I need to tell you, that God began to do something in me that I had been missing all along. Finally, I was able to marry the truth side of God, which I had pretty down pat with the grace side of God. And I can tell you that from that moment on, my faith life has never been the same. It's almost as if I became born again, as as if I was set free from a mindset that was limiting my relationship with God and how I was interacting with others. And I want to tell you today that God wants to set some of you free who believe that God is only one way or the other. No, 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 no. He he is both. And and if we don't live and walk in both of those truth realities, our faith will be debilitated. We will be missing out completely on an important aspect of God. Both are important. Not only is it important as it relates to our relationship with God, but it's also important how we relate to others. So how does choosing between grace or truth impact how we relate to others? Here's the key question that I want you to wrestle with right now. Which way do you lean? Are you a grace person or are you a truth person? Which way do you lean? Let me give you a list of some of the differences and characteristics of each, and then hopefully this will help us Figure it out, all right? I love this list by a pastor named Kevin DeYoung. Is it cool if we start with the grace people? Yeah. All right, cool. All right. They're gracious. They'll, they'll let me go there. All right. Grace people, they're the best to be around. Let's start with the positives first. They're, they're just awesome to be around. Um, they are super welcoming and accepting. They accept us for who we are 
as we are. They don't ruffle any feathers. They cut us a lot of slack. They're easygoing. And, and, and one of my favorite things about grace people is that they don't make many demands on us, right? They let us be. However, while grace people without truth are pleasant to be around, we, we wonder if they really like us or if they're just trying to be liked. Are they, are they showing us grace because they really are thankful and, 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 and appreciate us? Or they just want to be liked in return by acting in this way. Grace people can be super tolerant, which is awesome, but they often do not know the difference between right and wrong. Or they don't care to choose either way. I'm going to say this next part slow, and it's going to be on the screen. Grace people without truth can be cowardly. They, they often refuse to make tough decisions in life. They demand nothing from others and get nothing in return. In this last line, they accept us for who we are, but they never help us become who we should be. Ever, did you have a grace parent growing up or a grace boss or a grace friend or grace spouse? It, it, it sounds awesome as a concept, but if they're never helping us become the person that we should be, it's hurting us more than helping us. Now, don't get it twisted. That's just one type of grace person in the camp. Not all grace people are warm and fuzzy. Not all of them are meek and pushovers. There, there's a, a, another type of grace person who can become just as militant as truth people. The, you see, the, these are the grace people that they say they don't have a standard and are welcoming of all but they can become just as belligerent towards truth people who express any type of conviction or moral standard. I was talking to a friend about this message last night, and we were talking about the differences between grace and truth people. And, and, he, and he said, yeah, grace people simply become my truth type of people. You, you see, they don't get rid of all standards. They just rewrite the standard. And they expect everyone to live by the standard of grace that they have set up. So they become my truth people. I think that's enough beating up on the grace people. Let's, uh, <laughs> someone's walking out. We're, we're in trouble here. All right. <laughs> then there are truth people. Let's talk about truth people. We'll start on the positive side of tr for truth people as well. Truth people are easy to admire, you see, because they have convictions. It's, it's nice to run into someone with a, with a backbone, with, with strong convictions and principles. They, they believe in right and wrong. They set standards. They speak out against injustice, oppression, and evil. They are articulate and well-spoken. But without grace, telling the truth can become an excuse for harshness. Truth people can be just outright mean. I'm going to say this part slow as well, and it's going to be on the screen. 
Truth people without grace are loyal to their cause, but we wonder if they are really loyal to us. They want to change us and make us better, but they don't allow for mistakes. There's no room for error. They're quick to cast judgments on others. They don't hold back. They make difficult decisions, but they also make life difficult for others and for themselves. They can be slow to forgive or unable to forgive. And then again, this last line. They inspire us with their courage, but turn us off with their intimidation. Again, it's probably easy to spot the truth people in your life, those parents, those bosses, those friends, those loved ones. But let's not just focus on the type of people that have impacted our lives. Let's flip it. Let me ask you, which way do you lean? Which one are you? Are you a grace person or a truth person? Again, because of your... um, parents and family upbringing because of your personality and experiences, guys, because of the city and the place where you grew up and because of where you live now, you will lean more to one than the other. So which one is it for you? Let me summarize the differences with this quote. If you are a grace person, you are most concerned about being loved. If you are a truth person, you are most concerned about being right, even if it means being unloved. We know those people, right? You tell them, that was a little harsh. It was the truth, though, and they needed to hear it, right? Like, (laughs) simple as that. Both have their dangers. Something is wrong if everyone hates you, and something is probably just as wrong if everyone loves you. Guys, if that last statement is true of God, right? Not everyone loves him. Not everyone hates him. What makes us think that it won't be true of us? We will not be liked by everyone. Guys, we are called to follow in Jesus' footsteps and walk in the fullness of grace and truth. This is what we try to do as a church, and I'm telling you, it's messy, and we don't get it perfect. And I know for a fact that even as I taught this message, there's been times where you're like, I disagree, I don't like him, he's the worst, and there's been other times where you've nodded your head. It is messy and complicated. But at the risk of being misunderstood, we as a church are committed and we are constantly saying, God loves you. And and we are saying this to you. We are saying it to the city. God loves you and we love you, but he has something greater for you. He has something more for you. Yes, he accepts you and loves you as you are, but he loves you so much that he's not willing to keep you where you are. He's calling you to something greater. To something more. And guys, the culmination and the fullness of God's grace and truth can be found on the cross of Jesus Christ. 
This is where it all comes together. The reason Jesus went to the cross was in order to pour out his grace on all humanity, on all humanity, by meeting the standard and requirement that we couldn't meet ourselves. This is where, as my friend said to me this week, this is where the truth about our eternal separation from God was canceled, was destroyed by the amazing grace of the spotless lamb, Jesus Christ. And don't get it wrong. Jesus did not overrule his own rules at the cross. No, 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 no. He fulfilled his rules because he loved you and me so much. He was willing to do so. And now, as Jesus said, we are called to take up our cross and follow his example of living and walking in love and obedience, in grace and in truth. Here's some questions that I want you to ponder as we wrap up and as we go out from here. Similar questions, but just directed towards different people. What would your relationship with God look like if you received from him the fullness of his grace and truth? How would your relationship with God change if you weren't just grabbing hold of one of them, but you were taking hold of both of them? Would it be easier to come to him in prayer? Or would it force you or cause you not to take your sins so lightly? How would it change? The second question, what would your relationship with others look like if you are able to love them in the fullness of grace and truth? Would you be able not only to accept them, but would you also be committed to helping them become the person that they should be? Not, and get, get this, not the person you want them to be, but the person God created them to be. And the last one, what would our church community and city look like if we walked in the fullness of grace and truth? Could this church continue to be a place where not only grace and forgiveness reigns, but also where discipleship and life transformation happens? We need both. We need people to be accepted as they are, but we also need to work with them and disciple them and pray that God will transform them from the inside out. Guys, as a Christian, I have wrestled with this tension my entire faith life. This idea that God demands more of me than I'm able to, than I'm able to give him or even that I'm willing to give him, the truth, right? But then there's this other side, it's equally true, and a reality that regardless of what I do, that I know and understand that nothing can separate me from the love of God. He demands more of me than I'm able to give him, but yet nothing can separate me from his love. And what we tend to do is we try to come over here because this is much better and easier. And we drop this one. That's most of us. But 
but we don't have to choose between the two. We shouldn't choose between the two. Both are necessary. So let's go out and walk in the fullness of God's grace and his truth. And we will see some amazing things take place. Let me pray for us. God, we thank you for your amazing love and compassion. We thank you for your grace. And we thank you for your truth, that you have a standard, that you have a law, a righteousness that you call us to. And when you saw that we couldn't meet that standard, you sent your son who fulfilled it. But that doesn't mean that we are left to live as we want to do as we please, you still call us to follow after you, to live a life of obedience. And these are all words, God, that in our day and age, we don't like to hear them. But I believe it's because of past injustices where we've left out one without the other. So at the risk of it being messy and complicated, help us walk in both of them. We saw you do that with the woman caught in adultery, amazing grace, but also truth to go out, to call her to go out and sin no more. Help us receive those two things from you and help us to walk in it as we engage and relate to others. We need your help. In Jesus' name we pray, amen and amen. I'm gonna ask you to stand at this time. Caleb and the band are going to lead us in a song. And throughout this song, just consider, ponder, think about which way have you been leaning? What have you been relying on when it comes to your relationship with God, his truth or his grace? And how is it that we are relating to others and only giving them one side of ourselves? Let's ask God to help us receive both of them fully and be able to relate to others fully in grace and in truth. Let's respond.